Hello and welcome to the Strictly Personal Podcast. I'm John Paul Battam, your host. Our theme, our message is intended to be a wide open forum. Hopefully it'll be thought-provoking, but at the very least, entertaining. My father, the late John Battam, Hall of Fame broadcaster, started the Strictly Personal Commentary Show back in the late 90s. This is my attempt to keep that going. Throughout the many podcasts, I will be highlighting different audio clips of his broadcast history, and I hope you'll enjoy that. Our commentary, relevant and interesting, all the while we'll be hosting different guests along the way. All of the commentary provided is strictly personal, and with all of that, let's get going. Today's guest is Stephen Dodds, and Steve Dodds and I go back to high school times and uh, have managed to stay in touch through all these years, and he's got an interesting story to tell, and it'd be nice to catch up with him, and we'll be talking to him shortly. Right now, let's listen in on John Battle. So we are facing another protest demonstration on the weekend, and this time the target is the Toronto Financial Centre. It's an offshoot of the Wall Street protests. You know, the 99% against the 1%. Canadian border guards have been busy turning back many U.S. demonstrators who have criminal records and a history of U.S. demonstrations. And they don't just come from the United States. The poor downtrodden from Europe will lend assistance. Amazing. Ever wonder where these people get the money to travel about and create unrest? Speaking of unrest, Air Canada and Pearson International have their problems. First, customer agents had travelers in an uproar before being legislated back to work. Last week, airport security personnel walked off the job. Now that was chaotic for all sorts of travelers. They did go back to work, only to see another 70 or so walk out again. This time they've been suspended. Now it's the Air Canada flight attendants, ready to strike, but got caught up in the federal government's bid to prevent such a strike. Any strike at Air Canada, a private company, will be chaotic, messy, frustrating, but hardly a threat to the economy, nor does it fit the bill of essential service. Let this one play out. There are other airlines available, but flying out of Pearson becomes more and more a challenge. And officials wonder why people fly out of Buffalo if going south. So keep out foreign demonstrators, make Air Canada and flight attendants go back to the bargaining table, and fire the security people instead of suspending them. I'm John Badham, Strictly Personal. Hello, Paul. Are you there? I'm here. Is that better? <laughs> I'm trying to turn up the volume a bit here. There you are. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it's incredible. i got to do everything over the phone these days, but, uh, yeah, new world. It's our, you know what? This thing is changing all of our lives, and I, I, I think uh, there's going to be a, a, a titanium shift in how we do things. Absolutely. For a while. I know. I know. Like, how are you holding up? You know, I'm holding up. Uh, it's uh, it's tough times. It's tough times. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I haven't been paid in four months. Yeah, I hear you. Because you know, most of my business, ninety-five percent plus, is, involves China. Yeah, well, I, I thought we would. I thought we would talk a little bit about that because you've got an interesting uh, background and a connection with with China. But before we go uh, there, I thought I'd uh, take you back a little bit because I wanted to go back to uh, when you and I. Well, we would have met back in high school. Um, I knew that you played lacrosse with John, and uh, and and, uh, but I didn't really know you very well at that time. But I think really for the, fir- the first time I recall really meeting you was on the backpacking trip in high school. And I, uh, does that ring a bell? You know, it kind of does. Help me a bit. I, I remember uh, some kind of trip to a. Uh, it was Algonquin uh, Park, I think it was. We Algonquin went. Algonquin to... Park. 
Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's yeah. my er- that's my earliest memory of of you and I kind of connecting. But uh, that's probably you know what having said that it's probably mine as well. I mean, I remember you and Wally Engelking and and uh, uh, Sadlers. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's 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 probably as far back as I could go as well. Yeah, so we, you uh, you had played some uh, you played a lot of uh, sports, but you were uh, you were a pretty darn good lacrosse player in your day uh, back then. Uh, how did you uh, get into lacrosse? You know, I, I when my parents uh, and I immigrated to Canada, um, we started in Montreal, but uh, within a day of being there, uh, we took a train uh, out to Toronto, which is is where we, we kind of started our, our life in Canada. Um, my dad was a millwright, and at the time in England, uh, there was huge opportunity for millwrights and machinists to come to either Canada or to Australia um, because there was a lot of uh, work opportunity. Right. And just by complete fluke, we had no one here that we knew of, Um by about age six, I, I ended up in uh, Long Branch or New Toronto and met people that uh, had their kids into lacrosse and into hockey. Yeah. And uh, I jumped right in, uh, not knowing. Wow, that's, that's a pretty it. early age, too. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was early age. And uh, so I got involved with the Faustina organization in terms of hockey. And and I got uh, involved in the Long Branch organization in terms of lacrosse. And just, you know, that was my passion. I I was an only child, so um, that was my my introduction to Canadian life. So I, I, I walked around all winter with a hockey stick, and I walked around all summer with a lacrosse stick. Until I discovered girls. Yeah. Sounds sounds pretty Canadian to me. It sounds pretty Canadian. Yeah. And, uh, that would have that would have occurred all the way through my my high school years. Right. And I I think one of the the reasons we we didn't really have a chance to connect early in high school um, was because I was still playing actively both lacrosse and hockey. In the East End, I was still playing oh, I see. Uh, in Long Branch um, and Mimico um, all through junior, and, and then slowly I migrated into the uh, Mississauga system uh, for both. Okay, and is that how you met John LaFontaine then when you played and there? That's, yeah, and Mark and Bishop and the, the crew? That's, that's 100% how I met Johnny and Mark. And uh, McMillan and, and the rest of the, yeah. uh, yes, Stevie and Courtney and um, the rest of the group. Uh, I would still those were those were those were good days. Those were fun times. You uh, know what? I think we really grew up in a fantastic era. Yeah. Uh, I think we 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 had the freedom of what it was like to be in the '60s. I would agree. I think, I think we were really blessed with a pretty good childhood, all of us, and uh, we had great opportunities, great freedoms, and. And, you know, we did a lot of uh, what I don't see as much with the kids now. They don't, they're not outdoors doing things. We seem to be a lot more active then, and uh, I really think that's something that's missing. But I guess that's uh, evolution. That's the way things go. Technology's the, the thing to do. And, um, and thank goodness for that, or we couldn't even be doing this. But uh, I, uh, I tried a hand in lacrosse, uh, and uh, I played one year in lacrosse, and uh, that was enough for me. 
Um, but uh, yeah, the, the cross checking and that it was hard to adjust. And it sounds funny because my my sport was more football and hockey and baseball. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but I did go to a few of your games. I wouldn't have known it was you out there, but I remember going to see John play a few times back in the day. And so uh, when I saw that you guys had connected and played there, uh, uh, I thought that was really uh, really cool. Um, so then when we got through high school, uh, where did you go from there? <laughs> yeah, the kind of lost touch with you after that a little my bit. Life, yeah, yeah. My life went a bit, a bit wackadoodle. I had uh, been awarded uh, several scholarships for both hockey and lacrosse um, stateside. Okay. So I, I had actually chosen an Ivy League school um, in North Carolina to uh, to take a full a full ride scholarship for for both hockey and lacrosse, mainly, mainly lacrosse. Um, at that time, I was working for the summer at a company called Canadian Admiral down in the lakeshore. It, it was the old fridges and stoves and appliance uh, business. Okay. But I was just pushing fridges and, and the like in a warehouse. Um, hated it um, and totally serendipitously uh, ran into a gentleman named Mr. Vuk, and he was the father of a guy I played lacrosse with. Okay. And <laughs> because I was one of the better lacrosse guys, I guess, and um, constantly being taken up to play junior when I was still in midget, um, he took a shining to me, and I had indicated to him that I thought the job sucked, and miraculously, he got me into the office um to finish off the summer working as an expediter right uh i didn't have a clue what i was doing but i was i guess a, a quick learner um and loved it uh was pretty good at it and uh by some ridiculous chance i met a lady who was quite a lot older than me uh, in her 40s <laughs> i was still i think 19 or 20 right um and the next thing I knew, um, we got married. Goodbye, university scholarships. Tragic news to my parents. And um, to further make a bad story worse, um, we lasted about three months, uh, and uh, I was left brokenhearted and empty-handed. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, I did not know that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolute, absolute true story. Um, the only good news is she left me for the president of carrier air conditioning. Okay. So at least she had very good taste. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I know your, your, your wife now is, uh, she's a terrific lady. Uh, Alex is, uh, fantastic. So, uh, uh, that afforded you to meet yeah, her. Yeah. You know what? It, the, 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 the reality is that's a part of my past that, yeah. that in hindsight, while it was gut wrenching, um, and while I lost my shirt and more, um, the reality is uh, I learned a very, very solid lesson at an early age. And um, so, what, what, given the fact how old would you have been then? Early twenties? I, I like I say, I, I, it started when I was nineteen or so. Okay. Uh, nineteen or twenty? Yeah. Uh, no, nineteen, and um, we got married when I was twenty-one. All right. And um, I, I think I fell in lust. Yeah. She had great, great boobs, but that was about it. 
So how did you get down to California? I mean, I know that you were you ended up down there. When did that all occur, and what took you there? Well, this is where I, I'm a real big believer in fate, and, and uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever read the book The Celestine Prophecy, but it, it totally encapsulates my life because it fits my life perfectly because here I am, uh, a, a young kid that came from a tough upbringing, um, ended up doing well enough in school that, that uh, I was able to graduate, was awarded you know, full boat scholarships worth about 40 grand a year to go to several universities and then stupidly thought with my little head instead of my big head, uh, met a girl, dumped the scholarships, dumped the everything, thinking <laughs> that I had life by the tail, only to find out three months later I not only lost that, I lost the scholarships, I lost the everything. Mm. So I really uh, had to start from scratch uh, in a big, big way. Um, and that's where fate came in. And that's why I brought up the Celestine Prophecy, because uh, I happened to be in the office one day at Canadian Admiral when an announcement came over the thing for everyone to gather in the auditorium where we were told that Canadian Admiral was going out of business. Uh, uh, okay. So there I'm standing thinking my life's already in shit and now I'm finding out I don't have a job. <laughs> and as corny as this sounds, this is the absolute truth. I was kind of sitting with my backside on the side of a desk listening to this speech from the president right. when a phone kept ringing. And I happened to be sitting on a desk close to a phone so I don't know why I did it, but I decided to pick up the phone, honestly, to say, we can't talk now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, by complete fluke, it was a headhunter. <laughs> and it had no shit. And the headhunter um, was looking for someone that had experience in buying. And so me, with my big head uh, and my complete bravado, uh, uh, said, yeah, I know someone, it's me. Who, who is these people? <laughs> and she said, well, can you come for an interview? And I said, as a matter of fact, I can come right now. When do you want me? <laughs> exactly. And, and she said, well, tomorrow's fine. Um, come to my office at 2 p.m. and I'll interview you. And uh, if, if you meet the... The, the the needs I'll send you on to the client right uh, so I went and met this lady and it didn't take her long to determine I probably wasn't qualified <laughs> um, I was much younger than she was looking for but I guess I, I sold her enough to at least get to the next step and go and meet the company and if they said no they said no and this is where fate comes in the company ended up being Noxel Corporation, which at the time was Noxima, okay. in Toronto on Parklawn Road. And when I went for the interview, um, the purchasing manager showed no interest whatsoever, clearly read through me and thanked me for coming. <laughs> As I was leaving the building sheepishly, doesn't a gentleman walk through the door named Mike Compass, who was the executive vice president of Noxima, right. who I really didn't know. 
but who knew me through lacrosse. Oh, I was going to say, it's going to be lacrosse again. <laughs> yeah. He yeah, knew my me goodness. through lacrosse, and he said, aren't you Steve Dodds? And I said, yeah. <laughs> I, and he said, man, my, you played with one of my sons, and I, you were. we really enjoyed watching you. You were really, really good. What, what brings you here? And I said, well, and I still don't know this guy's a VP or anything. I said, to be honest with you, I'm in a tough spot because those scholarships I had went away and I ended up working at Canadian Admiral and I actually came here for a job interview but your purchasing manager didn't think I was qualified. So he said, do you have a few minutes? I said, yes. And he brought me into his office which was a palatial office <laughs> uh, and we passed the gentleman that turned me down it, on the way into his office. <laughs> And the long and short of it is, he said, we're, we're going to give you a chance. I'll talk to Keith. That was the guy that told me I didn't have a chance. And um, Jeez, we'll Sounds like a movie. It's like a movie, buddy. It's yeah. just like a movie. He said, we'll give you a three-month trial. I think you'll be a fast uh, learner. And um, you know what? I, I feel good about this. And the truth of the matter is that's how my career started. Wow. Uh, I got that job. I was miserable at it for the first few weeks. So what was your role? What was your role there? What were you doing? What my role was was junior buyer. Okay. Uh, in fact, my role at first was expediter, um, but that lasted only three months, and then they promoted me to junior buyer, which was actually the position yeah. that they were looking for. Right. Um, and I started out doing the menial tasks for the cover girl, Noxima Skin Cream, Tropic Tan Cosmetics, Less Oil, some of their major brands. I I, I did very um, junior roles on. Okay, so you you uh, you you uh, this is in par- this is on Parkland in Etobicoke still. Yeah. Okay. It started out in Parkland, Etobicoke, and then by the time I was leaving, it it moved out to Arendelle's. Okay. Uh, they built a new building. It was quite fantastic. It was a big deal. And by then, I was a senior buyer and being groomed to. Be the, the purchasing manager and on to position last, or where do you go from there? Well, again, by complete fucking serendipity, um, I'm sitting at my phone one day, and my secretary uh, tells calls me and says, "There's a lady on the phone that would like to speak to you." She said it's quite urgent, and I I remember saying, "We'll take a message." And she came back to me and opened the door and said, "No," she says it's quite urgent. So I picked up the phone, yeah. and believe it or not, it was a bloody headhunter again. It was <laughs> the same headhunter that got me this role. Okay. And she said that she had followed my progress over the 10 years and just got a call from an upstart company, um, wouldn't give me the name, but indicated that the owner or the CEO was looking to recruit someone out of the cosmetics world. So I I decide I will go and take this interview with honestly no intention of leaving. And uh, that's when I met Money's Worth the Best. And uh, the long and short of it is, I met the, the CEO, Rick Van Sant. We hit it off fantastically. And... Um, I decided to make uh, an enormous transition in my life, which was really uh, daring because I had just gotten married 
uh, or was about to get married to Alex. Okay. So I remember coming home one day and saying, you might want to sit down because I just traded <laughs> cosmetics for shoe repair. And he thought I had three heads. <laughs> so, all right. So you're still not in California. No. Okay. So for the for uh, about the next 10 years, um, I worked with Money's Worth and Best and built the brand up to be a significant brand in the Canadian retail industry. During that time, uh, because we were on a gigantic growth curve, and by that time I had become 2IC to the president, um, we took the opportunity to seek further funding and did it by the way of taking the company public in Canada. So nice. I was one of the, the principals of Money's Worth and Best that successfully took it onto the TSC, um, which was of course no mean feat. Um, and it was something that I, I, I'm still to this day very proud of. Yeah, I would be. Yeah, that's, that's great. The, good news. the bad news is that whilst doing that, um, I discovered it was Rick Van Sant um, had honestly traded us to the devil because we had made promises that were absolutely not achievable. It had me rethink our partnership. Okay. Uh, example being, we made promises to the market in order to get the share price from $0.90 cents a share up to $9 a share uh, that we would open so many more doors and we would get so much more growth of our brand. And the numbers were physically impossible to achieve. So to make promises that we were now going to double our business um, in year one was insane. And in terms of our shoe repair chain, uh, while we could continue to open new stores, the cuts to improve the profits were incredibly short-sighted. Um, so certainly I could go with a big axe and chop a bunch of costs out of the business, but we couldn't do that and still maintain the standards that we had. Right. So Rick and I had a pretty significant falling out. And about that time, part of the money we had raised with the IPO, we had acquired a company out of California called Adpro Products. And Adcor Products was a filling company uh, of the bare minimum. Okay. It was a true startup, not sophisticated, but it was going to give us our feet in the door in terms of being able to now uh, be, be south of the border. Some of our own products. Yeah, exactly. So I came up with the idea to Rick where I normally would have sent one of my uh, reports to oversee this company transaction, um, I had a heart-to-heart -heart with Rick because clearly we weren't getting along very well, and I suggested I'm going to go down uh, for a year and transition this company uh, because it's, it's, it's what I'm best at doing, and this might give us a chance to, to cool our heads. Okay. Uh, All right. I yeah, was not. I was not aware of that. I was always curious as to how you ended up making the move there. Okay, that's interesting. 
Yeah, it's 100% how it happened. He agreed with it. Um, and so I went down uh, and lived in California for a year before Alex came to join me. Okay. Um, and I would come home once or twice a month for yeah. a weekend. Well, you ended up spending some time, uh, some quite a bit of time down there, didn't you? You lived down there for a while, didn't you, after that? Well, we were 20 years. Oh, yeah, yeah, 20, yeah, we 20 years? 20 years. Wow, okay. 20 years, yeah. So the, the long and short of it is, uh, within a couple of years into my stint down there, um, I had had enough of dealing with the ridiculousness of Rick's dodging the bullet and cutting and slashing. Yeah in order to make ends meet for our money's worth and best. And I decided, with great advice from some attorneys in the U.S. and some great advice from the owner that we had acquired the company from, I decided to do what was basically called a hostile takeover of the U.S. money's worth and best corp. Right. Um, and in doing so, took over the company we had acquired, which was called AdCorp. I moved down there in 98, 99. Alex joined me in 2000. Okay. And in 2001, 2002, we can't remember, I did the hostile takeover. Okay. And in doing so, that bankrupted the Canadian Corp, which was unfortunate. Uh, okay. um, but I had the chance to acquire the Canadian Corp with my new partners in the U.S. We decided to pass on that opportunity because I was totally enamored with living in California. Where about, whereabouts did you guys live down there? We lived in Newport Beach. Newport Beach, nice. Orange County, Newport Beach. Boy, nice. Really nice. Yeah, it didn't get any better. We, we lived in paradise. Absolute <laughs> paradise. And by that time, we had, had grown a, a great new group of friends, became godchildren to some friends, kids, kids. Um, and really loved the the U.S. lifestyle. Yeah, we, we really, really. So loved you, the yeah, you guys, you guys set some roots there, and uh, now, now you at that time had written yeah, a book. Had, you wrote a book, did you not, Steve? What, didn't you write your own? Uh... Yeah, yeah, I wrote a book. I wrote a book called Life and Everything in Between, and that was quite successful. And, um, it was. It was. It sold. Uh, it sold over a hundred thousand copies. Um, and the only challenge I had, I, I kind of did the book on a dare um, and never expected it to go anywhere. Uh, but in signing the agreement I signed, it I, I, I didn't realize it at the time because I wasn't that interested. And I honestly didn't think it would be that successful. The book was remarkably successful and, and uh, who'd have thunk it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these, these are just, you know, I'm bringing up some things that I do know of you and that uh, I do recall that. and. And then, uh, so you're, the business is going well. You're in California. Things are great. What, uh, and then, and then what, what happens from there? Yeah, the business, the business went um, incredible. Uh, we had an, an incredible 10-year ride. And uh, we were then approached by the largest lace manufacturer in the world, a company called Mitchell Lace, um, totally unsolicited, um, with the inquiry to purchase us. Okay. Um, so at that time, uh, we decided to uh, put the feelers out and see if any other companies were interested. And it turned out there were three or four companies interested. Nice. And yeah, it was it was terrific, especially given we really weren't looking to sell. 
and we were continuing on a growth curve. So whether we sold or didn't sell, we felt pretty solid about it. Right. Um, the long and short of it is uh, Mitchell Ace came up with an offer we couldn't refuse, I suppose. And so we, we sold the business to Mitchell Ace. And I was hired by Mitchell Ace to be uh, the transitionary person from the sale because their intention was to move the company from Southern California to the border of Kentucky um, and the applications. Uh, They knew full well I had no interest in following them, but I certainly was prepared to to make an obnoxious salary uh, to work three days a week to help them transition. (laughs) Unfortunately, um, these guys turned out to be snake oil salesmen, and it turned out that they they were in deep debt and had basically conned a bank, a small bank in Kentucky, into giving them the money in order to buy AdCorp. And within short order, they couldn't even make payroll. Uh, and oh so it goodness. became brutally aware to me that they were going to go tits up. Yeah, yeah. So I, I refused uh, to... Um, continue on and get paid by them when they weren't paying our employees because when your employee check bounces that's just tantamount to the end yeah, yeah. and and I, I i didn't care how much money i was earning from them i couldn't face the people that i had worked with for 10 years um knowing how much they needed the money i mean they would cash their checks at, uh, at the the food wagon each day right um so I, I, I didn't have the stomach to to play the game and, and just continue to make a, a, a stupid amount of money. And so I, I just resigned. Yeah. Okay, so then what happens? Yeah. You're, now, well, you're, now you're in California. You're, you're... That, was all, that, that was all good news. Oh. <laughs> now you have Steve Dunst, the kid that came from Newcastle, England, without two nickels to rub together, who found a way to make it and grow a pretty good career to now who had sold a significant business and had a few million bucks in his pocket. And unfortunately, uh, my heart disease uh, uh, continued to worsen. And that's when I found out I had to have a heart transplant. Okay. And So what year, what year would that have been, Steve? I had my transplant in 2011. Okay, 2011. Okay. But my heart disease started. My heart disease started much earlier. It started uh, way back to when I was playing hockey and lacrosse. My last year of junior, in fact, I decided to go down from playing junior A to junior B because I was told um, that I had some heart issues. Right. Yeah. And Soon after that, I had several minor heart attacks, a heart attack and several small ones here in Canada. Um, and then when we were living in the U.S., I had a major heart attack uh, at, at Alex's dad's funeral. After that, they discovered, determined I needed a heart transplant. Okay, yeah, right. And in fortunately, yeah, fortunately, we were still living in Newport Beach at the time because the number one transplant clinic in the world which was Cedar sinai in L.A. Is there? Um, yeah, and they, they took me under their wing. Yeah. Um, which 
which was a blessing because, of course, I got the transplant and I got the heart of a 19-year-old, excuse me, a 21-year-old uh, young man, and I've never looked back. Yeah, and you, you know, and you've been uh, remarkably uh, blessed with good health, uh, relatively good health since, because uh, I've, I've I've come to uh, reconnect with you uh, since you've uh, come back to Canada. Um, and you've been back now for, well, it's got to be close to eight years, nine years, ten years, somewhere in there? 2014. 2014. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So six uh, years. Yeah. I, I mean, for, for the most part, I've been in good health, uh, fantastic health given my challenges. Unfortunately, this last year, um, I, I'm running into a few uh, anti-rejection related uh, challenges. Yeah. But, you know... It, it, it's just it's just getting dealt with. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, it's just changes of meds, and yeah. because these meds are so strong, with each change, it's a challenge. But but I have no doubt that I'll get through this and and yeah. be as strong as as I as I have been. So you get this new lease on life, and then how does Procure get to come to be? Well, uh, after selling Abcor. Um, I took a, a good year or so off to, to deal with my heart, yeah. um, to get healthy and, and deal with, with the challenges that that had uh, presented me. And during that time, I was doing a few um, favor-like chores for some business colleagues. And one of them said, why are you doing this for free? Uh, why are you doing it just because someone's going to pay a plane ticket for you to go and help them? You, you should start a consulting firm or join a consulting firm. Right. You should monetize this. And, um, and I thought about it and, and uh, you know, I, I've never shied away from trying anything. So I thought, yeah, why the hell not? So, so I created Procure Synergy Solutions, um, which was all a big play on words, um, as a consulting business that specialized in all of the things that I had spent my career doing, which was brand building, logistics, purchasing, and advertising. So, uh, I mean, and, and, and since I've reconnected with you, you've made a number of trips back and forth between here and China. What's, what's the, the connection to China then? Is that your purchasing uh, part of the business? Uh, yeah, 100%. I mean, because I've been going to China for some 40 years, starting with Canadian Admiral and then through the Money's Worth Invest years, okay. I developed some significant um, uh, allies and ties. And one of the first projects that I took on as part of Procure was from a vendor of ours that provided us with product at both Money's Worth Invest and then at Adcor, um, who hired me as a consultant to uh, private brand some products for them. Right. Uh, and then that turned into another person from the, the shoe care industry, and then another person, and then another person. So before I knew it, I had five or six house accounts that utilized my skills mainly in terms of building a brand and purchasing products from China. What uh, what and, kinds uh, of products would you be purchasing there? Like what do what like you? I know so many people that do purchases com- there, but yeah, mostly componentry. So okay, um, if you think of a tin polish as an example, I would source um, the raw tin 
in China, then find a factory that made it into tins, and then found a factory that decorated those tins, uh, and developed the, the cardboard boxes that they went in and the shipper cartons that they went in, and brought those to. So it's the US. I see. So it's the, it's the components that make up products, not necessarily a product. Gotcha. It's not necessarily finished products, no. Yeah, 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 I see. I did have one client that we did bring in finished product for, but for the most part, it was componentries that would be finished in the U.S. so that you still could, could claim it was a made-in-America product. Right, right. You know, back then, there still were a lot of companies in China that produced shit, and you got what you paid for. Yeah. But because I came to China originally through the cosmetics uh, world, the companies that I developed relationships with China were not Mickey Mouse uh, companies. Yeah. They were sophisticated companies, no different than would be in the U.S. Yeah. But of course, the cost savings were tremendous. So the table, so the table stakes, I, the table stakes for you is to maintain that uh, continual uh, componentry uh, purchasing uh, to have uh, the lifeblood of your business continue. But you've got all these ancillary consulting. Uh, parts to your business, um, especially you know as you look at your branding experience, your marketing experience, which you've picked up over the years. Um, so, so that brings us to today. So, with all this going on, wow! I guess this has got to be tough. I mean, uh, it probably grinds everything to a halt, pretty much. Oh yeah, I mean, right now, right now, it's it, it's tough sledding. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, first I was hammered with China yeah. because this rooted from China. Yeah, and this kind of um, this really kind of so started in December, didn't it, for you? Yeah, started in December. Um, yeah, but by February it was to the people in the know. I was one of them. Um, there was something really awry with what was happening in China, um, and. Well, I, I remember talking to you really? in early February, and you saying to me, "This is the this is the real deal." Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that conversation too. And yeah. and even with me believing it was the real deal, never in my wildest imagination did I ever expect it to rise to the level it's risen. Yeah. And now I can tell you, because I'm I'm still very much involved with my China partners. Um, so I get a bit of the inside scoop that isn't necessarily always on the news. Um, and it's not sugarcoated at all. There's still a tremendous issue in China. Um, and they're nowhere near over it. Yeah, uh, I couldn't imagine. But, uh, but what could happen in the U.S. will dwarf what happened in China. Mm. Because... China, if you think about it, was still a communist country. So once they realized how bad it was, when the government there says shut down, you shut down. If you don't shut down, you go to jail. Well, that, 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 jail, that worked in their favor in this case. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. But as you've seen in the U.S., no one's a believer. Yeah. And so the, it took a good month to six weeks for them to even realize, especially with a president like Trump telling them everything's fine, don't worry about it, um, to get it. I mean, just weeks ago, uh, the Florida March break was full of kids passing the bug around, only to go back to their hometowns, wherever that is, but fuck Nebraska or Buffalo, uh, and further spread it. So 
I think what's happening in the States right now is a ripple to what it eventually will be. I, I see 100,000 deaths, not 20,000 deaths in the U.S. I think the worst is yet to happen. And um, I think in Canada, because we're far more obedient in yeah. by our very nature, right. it won't spread as fast. But um, I think the U.S., we've seen nothing yet. Um, yeah. Yeah, which really brings me to where I'm at today. And today I've been recruited by uh, some people that are wanting my help in bringing in from all over the world um, COVID-19 protective gear. So I'm working both ends of the clock uh, developing lines of acceptable product to fulfill significant purchase orders from all over the U.S. and Canada, well, that's uh, good. Kuwait, Germany, um, everywhere. Uh, but like everything, it's wow. not only a movie. Yeah, it's yeah. A complicated, it's a complicated undertaking. Well, that was kind of my next question was, okay, so what's next for, for Steve Dodds? I mean, you, you've had uh, quite a run here. Uh, it's been an interesting journey, and um, you've got so much experience in the, in this uh marketing field and branding field um, so you've got another opportunity here with this uh, new offer uh, uh, where does that take you I don't know Paul um, yeah. that, that's the billion dollar question the reality of life is I haven't been paid in four months yeah. Um, yeah. even my retainers have ceased um, understandably so uh, but now I'm working uh kind on the come, if you will, yeah. uh, for some people that have proven to me that they have uh, a link to the resources. I've been working hand-in-hand hand as an example with uh, Executive VP of Wells Fargo, of uh, their international division, um, who has uh, basically sent me a LOI for $100 million U.S. dollars um, of proof that the money is available if we can indeed find the correct sourcing to bring in some of this protective gear. So, of course, I'm my eyes are wide open, and I'm working diligently to try and source to that, make yeah. this happen. Yeah, yeah, not just for myself, but also for a humanitarian um, perspective. So, going forward, Steve, what are you? What are you, any ambitions? Uh, I mean. Uh, you hate to use the word retirement, but as we look forward down the road, what do you want to be doing? Do you want to retire? Uh, what's that little retirement look like for you? Uh, are you guys staying in Canada? Well, what are your What are your hopes and dreams going forward? Well, as I think you know, we, we have a home in Greece. Um, yes, yes. Which is uh, uh, in the Peloponnese area, about a couple of hours outside of Athens, right on the water. Um, and we're actually in a a small town called the Pitavros, which is the home of the first ancient theater. So we're only a, a five-minute stroll over to that, which is a pretty special place. It's a, it's a, an old fishing village, and I see us spending uh, a decent amount of our time there. Frankly, we would have been there now, like we are most um, winters, 
uh, had the virus not have occurred. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we postponed our, our, our trip, but expect to be over there in June or July, assuming we can. Um, well, let's hope. And assuming, yeah, let's hope. Looked like it might be an early retirement or at least more time in Greece to maybe I'm going to be a bit busier than I had been in a, yeah, a right. few years. Because if I if this project takes off the way I think it can, um, there's a tremendous opportunity to help these uh, two guys uh, spearhead a, a very strong going concern. And right now there's all, all the pointers are pointing to success. So yeah. Well, I wish you wish you well with this new business venture. Uh, it sounds uh, sounds like it would be like you say. It would serve not only your own personal needs to obviously get a, an opportunity and a and a uh, income. Uh, I could monetize something here at the same time help out uh, humanitarian uh, uh, help. Uh, I'd like to sort of wrap this up, Steve, and I really want to wish you well. And uh, we will stay in touch as we always do through. Facebook and what have you, but um, before I do, I always ask my guests to you give me a song, whatever favorite song or whatever you have, we've, and I'll go out on the podcast with that, and uh, is there anything that comes to mind? I hate to put you on the spot, but uh, what uh, what comes to the mind? The Weight. The Weight. The Weight. Uh, okay, by, okay, by the band. Okay. I love the song. All right. I love the song. I know the song. We can do well, that. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Paul, for thinking of me. Ah, I hey! Hope I, did, I hope I did you justice. Hey, well, I think it's and a. a I'm, you've had, like I said, a, a tremendous uh, journey and ex, you know, a lot of experience, and it's uh, it was terrific learning uh, your background and you know how you've arrived where you are. And I uh, wish uh, you and Alex all the best, and we'll stay in touch. Yeah, back at you, buddy. All right, take thanks. You. Thanks for taking. Thanks for calling. All right, take care, bud. Bye. All right, try.
put the load right on me. Crazy Chester followed me, and he cut me in the fall. He said, I will fix you right if you take Jack my dog. I said, wait a minute, Chester, you know I'm a 